So today I want to talk to you about something, but before I get there, I want to tell you a personal story. Some of you, have heard, some of you that are close to me have heard this story before. Um, for some of you, this will be a new story, but growing up, I went to IU basketball camp, and going to IU basketball camp, there happened, they happened to have this coach that was a little fiery, right? Maybe you've heard of him, Bob Knight, maybe anybody's heard of him, um, a little over the top, um, but I used to go to IU Bob Knight basketball camp, and there was a thing that your parents signed, that if you got kicked out of camp, your parents had to pay the Greyhound ticket for you to get home. Because IU was not paying for that. Because you should have, you know, raised your kid better than that. So, <laughs> um, we stayed in the dorms, we made crank calls, and we did all sorts of things that teenagers do. And um, never, I, I never got caught until I just confessed that now. But, <laughs> yeah, my dad's back there going... But I remember you'd come into the field house and you'd sit on the floor. And, of course, the field house had multiple basketball courts lying down it, right? And you'd come in, you'd sit on the floor, and then Coach Knight would come in and give you this talk about this certain way to play a certain style of defense or, or this, that, or the other. And at this particular juncture, I'm about 13 years old, and I'm excited to go hear Coach speak. And so... I tell my roommate, I'm like, look, I'm leaving now, I'm skipping lunch, I'm going to get there early, and I'm going to just, you know, I'm just going to go sit and listen, and so I get front seat, like, right there, um, and I'm just waiting, I'm just, I'm just, you know, waiting, and then people start coming in, and I'm sitting probably five feet from coach, and he's talking, now, what's the one thing you're not supposed to do when somebody's talking? Talk. You don't talk when they talk, right? Apparently, the guy directly behind me, three rows back, never heard that. And as I'm sitting there, and I'm just like 13, I'm just soaking it in, right? Uh, at this point, they've just won a national championship, and it's like, you know, everybody's there. Alford is there, and Smart is there, and Garrett's there, and all these guys from the 87 team. Sorry, Purdue people, just get over it. Maybe someday. And so they, you know, they're all there. And then this kid behind me starts talking to his buddy. And you would have thought Mount St. Helens had erupted. Coach's face turns red. He goes into one of his tirades about why you don't talk when he's talking. And he walks up. If I'm here, this guy is 6'6", walks up right here, stands over the top of me, and and I won't repeat what was said, and, you know, just keeps going. I'm sitting here trying not to wet myself, <laughs> trying to hold it together, because when he first started, he's clear back here. I thought he was talking to me. I'm like, what did I do? And I remember he walks up. He's like leaning over the top of me, just blah, 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 blah. And calls Norm. 
one of the coaches in Dockage, they come and they get him. They drag him out. He's never seen from again. So I don't know. I assume he got home. I don't know. And I can't help but think that as a parent, when you sign the waiver saying you will pay for the Greyhound ticket home, that you never really thought you were going to have to. You know what I mean? You ever just sign one of those and you're like, yeah, whatever. It's not really ever going to happen. But it happened. Can you imagine the feeling? Because one of those coaches called mom and dad and said, your son's coming home because he talked when Coach Knight was talking. That was how strict it was. I could share you another story where I showed up late to Dan Dockage's, Dan Dockage's clinic there. Just let me say, I never showed up late to anything after that, again, ever. But, so, could you imagine, though, as a, as a parent, you get a call, you see it's Bloomington, you pick it up, hey, your son's coming home because he's just, he, he, he couldn't cut the mustard. And by the way, we're sending you the bill. Can you imagine the disappointment <laughs> the parents had? Like, what? I signed that, but I didn't really ever think I was really going to have to need that. I didn't really ever think that was going to go down that way. I didn't ever think it was really ever going to happen, but it did, right? How many times in our lives, maybe through, through a pregnancy that doesn't go right, maybe you're building a home and it, it doesn't go right, or maybe there's a house fire and it destroys everything you've got, and you experience this moment of, like, disappointment, of, like, it wasn't supposed to go that way, right? Anybody ever had that? Let me just, look, if you got kids, get your hands up. That's just, <laughs> right? Don't lie in church. If you have kids, put your hands up. At some point in your life, your little saint has done something to not be a saint. It's okay. That's part of being human. What we're going to see this morning in the life of Moses is basically in the life of Moses, I'm going to break his life up into three, three stages. Because here's a man that understands disappointment. You start with Moses' story. If you're not familiar, the word Moses is, is a compound of two Hebrew words. Mo means water. U-S-E-S. Uses means means to be saved from drowning. So when you put Mo and Uses together, you get Moses. And it means to be saved from drowning from water, to be pulled out of the water, to be saved from the water. So here's this baby boy that somehow survives Pharaoh's edict to kill all of the males in Egypt. Now somehow he survives, right? And he gets put in a basket into the Nile River and gets floated out. Now keep in mind that the Egyptians had a god of the Nile. And so Pharaoh's daughter's there bathing and she looks up and she sees this basket with this newborn baby coming out of it with no parents around. So who, whose son is this? He must be the son of the God of the Nile. He has divine descent. He's supposed to be the next Pharaoh. And so what happens? In God's amazing humor and his providence, 
the Pharaoh's daughter isn't at a point where she can nurse a baby. So she says, find me a Hebrew slave, one that just had a baby. And if you read the account, it actually says Moses' sister drew him out of the water for the Pharaoh's daughter. And oh, hey, Pharaoh's daughter, it just so happens I know a lady that can nurse. Do you want to give this baby to her? Sure. And who ends up nursing Moses? His mom. Guess who gets to raise Moses? And, and, and they would wean from nursing anywhere from 18 months to five years. That was the, somewhere in there, right? And so guess who got to raise her son even though he wasn't supposed to be, right? He wasn't supposed to exist. He's supposed to be dead. And yet God says, ha ha, watch me turn the tables on this. And boom, his own mom gets to raise him for the first two years or so. And what do you think she's doing during those first two years? She's telling him about his people, how they were brought into Egypt and how they're slaves. She's talking about the day when they will all be free, right? And she's putting this into Moses. And then once he's weaned, Moses goes into the court of Pharaoh, and Moses then begins to get taught. He gets taught, um, he, gets, he gets an education, he gets taught science, he gets taught astronomy, he gets taught a religion, he gets taught sorcery and black magic, he gets taught math, reading, writing, leadership. He gets all of these skills to be able to lead Egypt. And God's sitting back going, man, if you only knew how these leadership skills and what Moses is getting trained in math and science, if you only knew, yes, it is the Egyptian way to become Pharaoh, but God's like, I got a plan. It might not look like it right now. I got a plan. And so that's like the first 40 years until somewhere around the age of 40, Moses, understanding that he's supposed to deliver his people because he knows he's a Hebrew, goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his people. And the Bible tells us that he commits premeditated murder, kills the Egyptian, buries the body in a back alley somewhere. Right, this is the guy that God picked. (laughs) So if you've ever think that you've done something so horribly wrong that God can't forgive you and use you, here's Moses, premeditated murderer, right? buries the body to try to cover it up. And he goes out in Exodus chapter 2, verse 14, tells us a little bit about this story. When Moses comes back the next day to say, hey guys, I took care of the Egyptian, the man said, and the man's a Hebrew, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Moses is like, crud, right? The Bible says that your sins will find you out, right? That if you think you're doing something in the secret and in the dark, the Bible says that God will allow your sin to be revealed. It's going to happen, right? It's inevitable. So never think that what you do in secret isn't eventually going to have the light shown on it. So Moses now is left with a decision. What do I do? Like, I've murdered this person. I'm supposed to be the next Pharaoh, If the word gets out, I'm doomed. And now even my own people, the Hebrews, don't want anything to do with me. I mean, could you imagine the depression and the anxiety? Do you think he lost some sleep at night in the Pharaoh's palace? Guarantee you he lost sleep because he was human. 
But then from that moment on, he runs and he leaves, he leaves Egypt and he goes out into the wilderness and he becomes a shepherd. And for the next 40 years, he's shepherding sheep in the wilderness. And what happens during those 40 years? Well, we know that he gets married in those 40 years. All of the things that he had learned in Pharaoh's palace and math and science and witchcraft and all of these things that he's learned, God is now saying, okay, you've got all of that knowledge and all of that experience. Now I'm going to take you out here and I'm going to reshape it. I'm going to remold it. I'm going to restructure it. We're going to take care of the black magic part, right? I'm going to show you my power and my way of doing things. And so it's almost like God took 40 years to retool Moses of everything he had learned in the previous 40 And Moses probably thought that he would spend the rest of his life in the desert with stinky sheep, getting married. And we know from other documents that Moses had children, and he raised them during those 40 years in the desert. So here is Moses doing his thing for the middle 40 years, until one day he's out, and he sees a bush that's on fire. Now, to me, it's not so much that the bush is on fire. That's not, it's that it's not consumed. There are, in that part of the world, Bushes that will self-erupt into flames, okay? What's that called? Internal combustion, right? There are bushes in that part of the world that have internal combustion, and they will catch fire from the inside out. But the thing was, this bush wasn't burning. Like, it was burning, but it wasn't ash. So the fact that Moses might look over and see a burning bush may not have been anything new, because... I can't, you'll have to Google it later, the name of this bush, the internal combustion. But the fact that he looked over and there was an ash and it was still vibrant. So he goes over to inspect it and a voice comes out of it and speaks to him. And a voice says, I am, right? And this is where God says, I am. He says, you need to march yourself back in there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. All of these, all of these things. So Moses goes in, you have the plagues and so on, and then, again, we're in the third set of his 40 years because Moses dies at 120. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they went into the promised land. So what do they have? While they're wandering the desert, it's miracle after miracle. God's raining down manna. They're being led by a fire by night and a cloud by day. The people are like, when are we going to get to the promised land? All of these things are starting to happen. And yet all the while, people are complaining about Moses, and they're complaining about where they're at, and they're complaining about what's going on, and complain and complain and complain. And so if you look at Moses' life, you can break it down into three 40-year segments. And so Luke writes about Moses in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. It says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, And he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Leave that on the screen just for a minute. Moses thought that his own people would realize. Have you ever done something in your own power? Well, God told me to do this, and so I think I'll do it this way. And it just doesn't quite work out the way you thought. Anybody? Yes. Yes, right? You're like, okay, this makes sense. I'll do that. God's like, I didn't want you to do it. I wanted that done, but I didn't want you to do it that way. 
I mean, you see it all throughout Scripture. God's like, I wanted to tell it, I didn't want it done that way. Moses said, well, surely once I kill the Egyptian, they'll see that I'm the leader and they'll follow. No, you... <laughs> so because of that, you're going to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness running because the people were like, well, are you going to kill us too, Moses? Are you going to kill your own people? I mean, you killed the Egyptian, you're raised to be Pharaoh, so if you're going to kill the Egyptian people, you're probably going to kill us because we're just slaves anyway. Right? Moses is like, what have I done? What have I done? And he runs. And so here's what happens. Typically, disappointment... You know, I think about those, when I think about those parents that got their kids at home and they had to pay for the trip home for their kid, disappointment sets in typically for two reasons, two key, two key reasons. One, because of people, and two, because of circumstances, right? Maybe someone let you down, you just think, oh, I didn't think that was in them. I didn't think that was, and there's, there's some interaction with a person or people and their uh, their personality traits. I have in my life what I call foxhole people. Every, you need foxhole people in your life. What do I mean by foxhole? I mean when the bullets start flying and the grenades get launched, you need people that you know you can climb into a foxhole with and they're going to stick with you, even if that means a grenade lands in the foxhole. You need people in your life that are foxhole people. And I can, I've got a few of them in my life. That I know they're foxhole people. And they know it. They say, hey, you're my foxhole guy. You're my foxhole. It's just code. If I ever look at you and say, you're my foxhole, you know if you go to battle, I'm climbing in with you. If I go to battle and I call you foxhole, you, I expect you're going to climb in with me. Because these are the people that more times than not aren't going to disappoint. Everybody's going to disappoint you at some point. It's called humanity, Right? We can't put our trust in people. This happens all the time. Like I remember back in the 80s, right? You had all these big tele-evangelists, and all of a sudden they start dropping like flies from this scandal and that scandal and whatever. Well, what's happening? People have put their trust in a person. You, you have put your belief in a person or a ministry instead of Jesus. People are going to let you down all the time. People are going to disappoint you all the time. It happens. But then there's circumstances, things you can't control, right? Man, I really thought that when my company released this new product, it would soar and it would fly, but now we're having to downsize because a circumstance happened, and my job may be one of the ones that gets downsized. I didn't see that coming. Sometimes circumstances can disappoint you. The point is, is you're always going to be disappointed in life. Moses lived with one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment, Right? Disappointment happens when our hearts, that is our intellect, emotions, and our body, are set on what is not God. Disappointment happens when our hearts. What do I mean by heart? You ever, you ever hear this phrase, follow your heart, or their heart's in it? Okay, Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, says that your heart is the intersection of your intellect, your emotions, and then your physical body. Let me, let me explain how this plays out. One night you're awake and you can't sleep, and so you flip on the TV and you're flipping through the TV, and you come across those poor little puppies. They're all mangy. Maybe one's got like a white cataract eye. And his tongue's hanging out. 
but it's wagging its tail, and so you're, like, all excited, right? And they say, hey, for $19.99 a month, you can save five puppies. Don't look at your spouse right now. You can save five puppies. So what happens? Here's your heart. Here's, here's how you define it. It's your intellect, your emotions, and your body all working together. What are they tugging on? They're tugging on your emotions, the poor puppy in a cardboard box in an alley shivering. See, some of you already are like, where's this puppy? I need to save it. <laughs> right? So, and then, so they're pulling on your emotions. They're showing, and then there's it's just nice, gentle music in the background, you know. It's never like Megadeth that was in concert last night. Right? Anyway. It's like gentle and poor puppy. And then they give you the logic. Right? So they played to your emotions. Now they're going to play to your logic. It's only $19.99 a month. And and we can take care of five puppies. They'll get fed this. And they'll get their treatments here. And so now they're giving it to you logically. And what happens? They're moving you emotionally, and then intellectually you start to think, can I afford $19.99 a month? Right? And so you're so committed that you shake your spouse awake. Hey, you do the budget. Can we do $19.99? And they roll over and tell you to shut up because you're just being insane, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because now you're intellectually beginning to intellectualize this and think, can I afford this? Can I do this? So then what happens? I can, I'm emotionally feeling for this poor puppy's. I can intellectually swing $19.99 a month, so I'm going to pick up the phone, and now what has happened? My heart is in it. My intellect, my emotions, and now my body is taking action. This is the power of worship as well. The beat moves you emotionally. The lyrics grab you intellectually, and you physically interact with it. Now you're interacting in worship with everything that you are. Intellectually, emotionally, and physically. This is the power of worship. It is pulling at your spirit. And so what do you do? You reach over and you grab the phone. And you commit. Until two days later, you come to your senses. Maybe not. Maybe you just feel really good that you're saving puppies. I don't know. But this is the heart. And so what happens is, is that we... Disappointment happens when with our heart, with our intellect, our emotion, and our physical body because maybe, maybe the adrenaline has kicked in, maybe some physical chemical begins to run through your veins. Disappointment happens when our hearts are set on what is not God because we expected it because it was our plans and our way, etc. And so then what happens emotionally? It's what we term the disappointment spiral. You start with disappointment, and then you become discouraged, and then you think you were disillusioned, you become depressed, and then you feel absolutely defeated and powerless. This is the disappointment emotional spiral. This is what happens when we get disappointed. When you feel disappointed, you will find these emotions starting to... And you'll go down the emotional toilet because a circumstance or a person has hit the flush button. That wasn't supposed to. I just don't know. Where was I thinking? I'm just, you know what? I'm just calling off work tomorrow. I can't deal with this. And then you just feel defeated. This is the emotional spiral of disappointment. And it 
every single one of us have felt it at some point or another over a person or over a circumstance that was out of our control. When in the end, what we should really be saying is, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if it's not your plan, I don't want it. And so disappointment is far less likely because you can accept that as, you know what? It's God's plan, not mine. I'm going to roll with it. I'm not going to be discouraged. He knew the end from the beginning. I'm not going to be disillusioned because the Bible is still the Bible. The gospel is still the gospel. The message of Jesus is still the message of Jesus. It doesn't change. And now I still have hope despite my circumstances. And I know that I'm not defeated. I know that this Bible tells me that I'm more than an overcomer, that I sit at the right hand, right? I sit in heavenly places with Jesus, where Jesus goes to intercede for me forevermore, to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is the difference between the disappointment downward spiral and what the Bible says we are in our identity, right? So now the question is, when the disappointment spiral kicks in, how do you stop it? Because it's going to happen. It's okay. It's going to happen. How do we stop it? When we feel this happening, number one, these won't be on the screen. You just need to write these down. Number one, When we look at the life of Moses as he journeyed out, and Moses met disappointment after disappointment, the people people disappointed after every move Moses makes. Number one, God surrounded Moses with 70 top leaders to help him carry the burden. God surrounded Moses with 70 leaders to help him lead so that he realized he wasn't in it by himself. Though as a leader, you will always feel like you're in it by yourself. That's just part of leading. Any, any CEO that I've talked to, any pastor that I've talked to, anybody who's led anything, when you're the point person, there is a loneliness there that can't be explained unless you've been the point person, no matter how many people are surrounded, how many people you're surrounded by. But God gave Moses in Numbers chapter 11, you can read it on your own time, in Numbers 11, 16 through 17, God surrounded Moses with 70 top leaders to carry him. So here's what I want to ask you. Look around. Who has God put in your life to help you? Who has God put in your life to help you? Because that's God saying, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't done yet. Well, I'm not done yet, right? Who are those foxhole people that I referred to earlier? No one is really ever alone. You might feel alone, but again, if you've been with me any amount of time, you know that we don't live our lives based on our feelings, right? You've heard me say before, your feelings are like the gauges on your car. They're you're the fuel tank and the hot, cold, the speedometer. They're going to tell you what's going on. But how do you drive? Do you drive based on the gauges? No, that's just information. You drive based on what's out in front of you and your vision, right? And so your feelings are like your gauges. And if you've got people around you, you're not alone. You just feel alone. But it doesn't mean you are alone. And so we're not dictated and we're not moved by our feelings. Number two, God personally met with Moses. God personally showed up and met with Moses in Exodus 33, verse 11. God, so here's my question to you. Where are you meeting God? Where are you meeting God one-on-one? Where, where is that time with God? You know, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus tells us something very interesting. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. 
when you're in love with somebody, when you love someone, you connect with them, right? And you connect with them. In this instance, the word heart means emotions. Some of us connect with God, I think, typically in one of these three, one of these three arenas. Some people connect with God emotionally. They just feel God. They sense God. They, 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 they feel God. There are other people, I think, that sometimes they just, they connect more with God intellectually, right? They, they just, they, they are more intellectual in their connection with God. And then there are some people that are more physically engaging with God. By that, I mean they see God in the beauty of his handiwork. They, enjoy, they go out, they enjoy nature. There's a physical aspect of how they connect with God. Now, some people tend to be a little more emotional. Some people tend to be a little more intellectual. Some people tend to be a little more physical. And so I can't necessarily say, well, you're not connecting with God intellectually, so you're just not connecting with God. That's not true. Or you, only, you, know, you don't connect with God emotionally, so you're not really connecting with God. But I think what we have to try and do is realize, okay, how do I connect with God? Which of those three is more natural for me to connect with God? And then try to, along the way, throw the other bits in and say, okay, I need to understand intellectually a little bit more about God. I need to see God a little bit more in nature and the world he's created. I need to understand that a little bit more so that we can connect with God across all three arenas. So number two, to stop the downward spiral, personally meet with God the way God personally met with Moses. Okay? Number three, to stop the downward spiral, God provided guidance and miracles. God, when you begin to feel that disappointment spiral, you look at yourself and say, okay, well, Where's God providing guidance? Where, where are the miracles happening? Where, where am I seeing God move? Right? Because it's important that I get on board with what God is doing and where God's leading versus where I am right now. We call this being spirit-led. Because God doesn't always move in the same way in one generation as he did in another generation, the next generation, and the next generation. We need to see, where is God moving right now? How is he moving, and how is he speaking, and get on board with that? Otherwise, it's a constant uphill battle, where you're constantly outside the will of God, trying to get God to fit back into your box. Well, God, you did it this way this time. Let's do it this way. God doesn't do that, because humanity changes. People change. You keep up with the changes and see God moving in them or get stuck. And it happens to all of us in our own individual lives. So many times I've prayed for things for our family or for members in our family, and I'm like, God, I'm just not, you're just not doing anything. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. God, you're not moving in our life. I'm praying that they would come to Christ, but you're not moving. And then suddenly one day, like out of the blue, they're like, yeah, I went to this movie called Avengers. And I saw where, like, Thanos just wiped everything out. And I got to thinking, like, when I was a kid one time, Satan wanted to wipe everything out. And that was like the devil. And I'm like, only God, right? Like, only God can take Avengers and speak to somebody about what he wants to do. Because I would have never thought of that, you know. But God, never box God in into what you think he wants. He's, he's constantly moving and speaking into people's lives, 
And so what we have to do is we say, okay, where is God providing? Exodus 13, 21 through 22. We see God constantly providing for them as they're wandering in the desert. Constantly providing. And so when you hit that disappointment spiral, I just feel so disappointed. Find your foxhole people, right? Moses had 70 of them. Personally begin to meet with God. And then look for where is God moving? Where is God moving in my life? Pull back and say, okay, God, where are you moving? What are you doing? I, okay, the whole Avengers-Thanos analogy I just gave you, I was like, that, can I tell you secretly what was going on in my mind? That is the dumbest analogy. But then I got, because I thought, that's just, that's just so stupid. But then you know what happened? <laughs> Tyson. Shut up. I used it. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean I can't do it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And that's how God works. You don't understand it. You don't see it. But he moves. And so I'm going to tell you, if you're facing that disappointment piece or bit in your life. Maybe a class didn't go the way you wanted. Maybe you weren't able to get the class this semester that you wanted so you could stay ahead of schedule, and now you got to take the class the next semester. Whatever it is, maybe the crops didn't come in like they were supposed to. Maybe pull back and go, okay, God's got a plan. I'm surrounded by the right people. God provides guidance and miracles. So no matter how difficult it might be, no matter where you are, no matter how it goes or whatever you see, God saw the end from the beginning. And every step and every bump and every up and every down along the way. You know, my wife had an important meeting this week. And we were laying in bed one night this week talking about it. (laughs) You know, sometimes you tell your spouse stuff and they don't hear it. But then somebody from outside tells your spouse and they get it. And... Then they tell you, and you're like, I've been telling that for five years. <laughs> right? Are we the only marriage? Thank you. I got an amen. So we're not the only marriage that that happens to. Okay. That didn't happen to us. I just wanted to connect. That's all. That actually didn't happen. Here's what happened. I was just told it happens all the time. Now, if one of my, if one of my bro friends will tell me that it happens all the time, I'll believe you. But my wife told me it happens all the time. Anyway, so we're laying there in bed one night, and she goes, we were talking about the meeting coming up with the student's parents and whatever. She goes, you know what, though? It's my first time in the meeting, but it's probably God's second or third time in that meeting already. So he knows. And I was like, She just used my words. Like, I couldn't sleep. So I had to get on Disney Plus and watch, like, Blackbeard's Ghost from, like, 1964 because I was wide awake and watched the old Disney movies. Like, I was like, she used one of my phrases, you know? Like, you know how good that makes you feel when your spouse uses one of your phrases, like, you know what, this isn't the first time God's been in this meeting. This is his second or third time, and he knew how it was going to go down, so he's prepped. He knows. And here's what I tell you. Whatever disappointment you're facing, it's not the first time God saw you disappointed in that. 
It might have been his second, third, or infinite, because he's infinite. It could have been his infinite time he saw you. It's the first time you've heard it. It's the first time you've experienced it. But God's like, ah, it's old hat to me. I've been there. Let's stand up today. And I just want to tell you, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you can stop the downward disappointment spiral to defeat. You can stop that knowing that God is there and God's already got a plan and a purpose. This morning as I, as I pray and as I wrap up, I want to invite you to come forward. If you need prayer after service, I want to pray with you. Believe whatever it is that God, whether, whether you need healing or whether you need a situation worked out, or maybe that's just you and you're just like, man, I'm just facing a great disappointment. If that's you, I want to pray with you to realize that don't be disappointed. God, God saw this disappointment 50 times already. He's experienced it for you already, and it's okay. It's all right. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever we face and whatever we go through, the Lord, you are there in the midst of it. You are there in the middle of the sea as we're walking through the sea with walls of water on both sides. Lord, as we get up every morning wondering where the food's going to come from, you've laid manna outside our tents. Whatever we're facing at work, you've already seen us through it. Whatever we're facing with our family, you've already seen us through it. Whatever we're facing in our neighborhoods, you've already seen us through it. Whatever we're facing in our own minds, and yes, Lord, sometimes we are our worst enemy, you've already seen us through it. Lord, may we lean upon your Holy Spirit and lean upon you with all that we are, trusting and knowing, God, that you've seen us through everything, all the time. You are not a God that you should lie, that you are always faithful and always true. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week. We will see you next week.